There it goes, deep into center field. Way, way back goes Matty Alou, and that ball is in astro orbit. And the little dynamo, the toy cannon, now has 76 runs batted into the year. What a shot. I'm Vic Raghupathy. I'm Jacob Wessels, and today we are joined by my stepbrother, Noah Averick. Noah, how are you? I am just the best that I have ever been and ever will be. Thank you, Jacob. So today's theme is making the case. So we're just going to make a, a Hall of Fame case. I think we got two baseball players and a football player on the docket. Soriano with a good lead on a 2-0 pitch. There he goes. And he is in there without a throw. And that's number 40 for Soriano. And he joins Jose Canseco, <laughs> Barry Bonds, and Alex Rodriguez as the only 40-40 men in the history of baseball. When I was younger, I kind of just automatically thought the best player on all of the marquee franchises were destined to be Hall of Famers. And, and so that led to a lot of weird Hall of Famers in my book, but perhaps one of the weirdest was Alfonso Soriano, because he was kind of the face of the Chicago Cubs, and my dad had grown up a Cubs fan, and hear all about the curse and whatnot. So the Cubs, you know, were a prominent team, and they were kind of good in like the 2007 to 2008 range. And Alfonso Soriano was the face of that resurgence. So, you know, growing up as a baseball fan, he was always just a Hall of Famer to me. That was just kind of what he was. And then, you know, the more I learned about him, the more I was like, oh, well, he's not a Hall of Famer. And then if you look back at it, you think to yourself, he was much better than I remember. And he was much better for a much longer time than I remember. And I think that's kind of one of the interesting things about Alfonso Soriano is, is you can play a game with bit players. And you can say, well, at what point in their career did you realize they weren't going to be all of them? So someone comes up, they have massive potential, and then you go, okay, you know, they had a few bad years. They, they you know, after they turned 30, they really fell off a cliff. They started off really slow and they didn't start playing well until they were 30. And, and, and so you kind of point out when that person wasn't playing like a Hall of Famer. And I think you can make the case that Alfonso Soriano never really had that kind of, I mean, he had a drop in production, but his drop in production wasn't as big as I think people think it was. And so he kind of was good for a long time. He was good for over a decade. He had a solid career past the age of 30, and he had a bunch of impressive records. And I think that's kind of what you're looking for when you, when you look for a Hall of Famer. He's got some black ink there, and he's got some, some pretty good MVP finishes. You know, a third place, a sixth place, uh, a twelfth. I think if, if, you know, one of those had been a more fortunate year and he had hoisted the award, we might be talking about him completely differently. Yeah, I mean, he's playing in like the, you know, not the heart of the steroid era, but the tail end of it. And, and he's got, you know, a lot of much bigger, much stronger players. And, and he's up there competing with them, you know, for the you know, MVP award. And, you know, considering where he started, that's actually really surprising. Because Alfonso Soriano was not a, a big-time prospect when he was a young kid growing up in the Dominican Republic from the famed town of San Pedro de Macorís. Um, you know, a lot of other guys were getting attention, and he wasn't one of those guys. And so when, like, all the kids were getting signed up into academies, not one major league academy offered him a contract. So instead, he signed with the Hiroshima Carp in Japan. And so at the age of 16, he was playing in the academy for the Hiroshima Carp. And 
I mean, they were one of the first Japanese teams to have a Dominican Academy. It's a, it's a very interesting story along those lines. But eventually he makes his way to Japan and he just hates it. Because the way the Japanese approach baseball to him is just way too strict. It's way too rigid. They don't want to have fun. It's practice all the time. It's fundamentals all the time. They don't want him trying to hit home runs. They're trying to teach him how to bunt. He, just, he doesn't like any of this. But the problem is he signed a contract in Japan for five years. And so he's, he's stuck there for, for the foreseeable future. But um, he takes advantage of a fascinating loophole that has since been closed. Um, and he was the reason they closed the loophole. If you, and at the time, if you retired in Japan, you were granted free agency and you could sign with anybody. And so Alfonso Soriano, at the age of 20, retired in Japan. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to retire from baseball. I'm moving to the United States. And the Carp were very unhappy. They were like going around saying they would sue any major league team that tried to sign him. But eventually no legal action was taken. And that was kind of the last straw for, for Japanese baseball for them to implement the posting system. So that was, you know, an early role Alfonso Soriano played in larger baseball history, you know, kind of how the modern posting system came to be. Yeah, didn't. Didn't Nomo do that also? He had to do yeah, it was the same agent who, who allowed, who figured out the loophole with Nomo, did it again with Alfonso Soriano, and that was kind of the last straw. That it was first Nomo and then Soriano. I didn't even know Japanese team signed Dominican players. Yeah, I was shocked to find it as well. When I saw that he, I saw on his Wikipedia page that he played for the Hiroshima Carp, and I was like, interesting. He made a late career try of it in Japan. I did not know it was where it started. And that was one of the most fascinating things to me. And so, you know, he signs in the, so he, he comes over to America, he becomes one of the hottest prospects and, and, and everyone wants to sign him. And, and, you know, he does a tryout. And after just this one tryout that all these major league teams go to, they're offering him contracts on the spot. Cleveland offered him a contract on the spot. Um, I think the Brewers offered him a contract on the spot. But the team that offered him the largest contract on the spot was of course the New York Yankees. So he signs with the Yankees. And he just tears it up in the minor leagues for two seasons, but he's stuck behind Chuck Knobloch, who was at the time a pretty solid player. And the Yankees were winning World Series. They weren't really looking to make changes on their infield. And so they didn't make a change until right before the 2001 playoffs. Knobloch was in a bit of a slump. They called up Soriano um, in 01. He played like half a season in the show. And then he was their starter throughout the postseason. And he just had so many heroic moments in the 2001 postseason. You know, walk off in game five, the ALCS. He hit what he hit what could have been the game-winning home run for the Yankees in the 2001 World Series. Bottom of the eighth inning, Alfonso Soriano hits a home run to put the Yankees up two to one. Before, of course, Mariano Rivera blows the save in uh, in, in you know historic fashion with, uh, with the Diamondbacks coming back to win the World Series there. But you know, he he was you know, kind of looking to be a postseason hero that year. And then they were wondering if he could, you know, kind of keep that up because he was so good in the postseason. They thought, this guy really has the potential to be special. Can he keep it up? And of course, he comes into the next season and he goes basically 40-40. He comes one home run shy. He goes 39 home runs and uh, 40, 39 home runs. 41. 41 steals. Thank you very much. He hits 300, he leads the league in hits, and as you said before, Vic, third place MVP finish. I mean, this is one of the best seasons we've had from a guy who was, you know, at the time, a, you know, 24-year-old up-and-comer. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. They were saying, this is the next future Yankees superstar. You know, they wrote an entire Sports Illustrated article about him. It was a great read about 
about all, you know where he came from and his start of his career in Japan and how he was now going to be the next face of the New York Yankees. You know, the Yankees, always looking to get bigger and better, in 2004, traded him to Texas in the uh, trade for Alex Rodriguez. And so Soriano was kind of the centerpiece of that deal. And right when Texas acquired him, and these are the little moments throughout his career where people just kind of, you know, kind of were a little bit disillusioned with him. Right when Texas acquired him, they found out that he had actually been lying about his age. So I said that he left Japan when he was 20. I said he went 39-41 when he was 20, when he was 22, when he was 24. All of those years were two years off. He actually left Japan when he was 22, and he actually went uh, almost 40-40 when he was already 26. So that means Texas was not getting the young slugger that they had promised, but a 28-year-old slugger. And you know, in that kind of context, Texas Rangers fans were kind of pissed that they had acquired this guy who they thought was going to be like the next face of baseball. And they traded away A-Rod. And what they got was instead a guy who was basically an older or the same age as A-Rod, probably worse. Texas claimed they knew he was that age, but it, it seemed suspect. And their fans were pretty upset about it. But, I mean, in Texas, Soriano made two All-Star games. They were a little bit down years given what he had done in New York. But he was still around 30 home runs, around 30 stolen bases, hit like 280, solid player, silver sluggers. And then he goes to Washington. So he gets traded to Washington um, in the offseason. And he signs the highest arbitration settlement contract of all time. So, I mean, he still, despite the two down years in Texas, despite the age thing, people still regarded Alfonso Soriano six years into his career as one of, like, the greatest players in baseball, if not the best young player in baseball. I mean, when you think of the guys who are breaking the arbitration records now, they're, like, bona fide superstars. I think um, – who was the guy who just broke the arbitration record? Was it um, Arenado? Did Mookie get a big arbitration deal? Uh, it might have been Mookie now. Oh, um, Mookie Betts. Yeah, $27 million arbitration dollar record. Yeah, because uh, Arenado signed a full-on extension. He yeah, yeah, I think he got the arbitrated, then he signed it. But, yeah. but the point is, you know, people thought of Alfonso Soriano the same way we think of Mookie Betts, which is perennial MVP contender, top five player in baseball. I mean, just a, a, a megastar. And – he backs that up in Washington with perhaps the only clean 40-40 season of all time. He hits 46 homers, steals 41 bases, hits 277, finishes sixth in the MVP voting. And I mean, like obviously some of the other numbers aren't there, which is why he finishes only sixth in the MVP and, you know, why he's always struggled, um, you know, kind of gain that notoriety. But 40-40 is tough. Like – you have to be one of the top speed guys and one of the top power guys. And on top of that, he had 40 doubles. So he went 40, 40, 40. Yeah. Here's the thing I'm seeing is like the year that he almost went 40, 40, but he hit 39 home runs. He added 51 doubles. That, yeah. That's insane. And yet I look at like his slash numbers and like, I'm not seeing like a thousand OPS. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, the OPSs are very low, and, and I was yeah, going to get to it later. We can touch on it now. Um, I think this is one of the things that really hurts him in his Hall of Fame case, is that despite having good counting stats, like a good average, good home runs, good stolen bases, good RBIs, and good runs scored, his real issue is that he never walked, like ever. Like there are many seasons where he had more stolen bases than walks which is just insane to think about. 
Like, in almost every season, he had more home runs than walks. But the fact that someone would have more steals than walks, especially in, you know, 2000s baseball, is just ridiculous. And, and so that really brings his OBP down and, and, by nature, his OPS down. I mean, his OBPs are, are typically, like, 20 points higher than his average, which is just kind of crazy. Um, but so, you know, Alfonso Soriano goes 30-30 in, you know, goes 40-40 in, in 2006. And so now he's a 30-year-old. But through his age 30 season, he is the fastest player ever to hit 200 home runs and steal 200 bases. He's a 280 hitter with an 860 OPS. He's made the All-Star game every year he's been a full-time starter. It's hard to imagine someone having a better start to their career. Like, I mean... If you had a top prospect, they did that. You would say that's the best possible outcome. How could they not make the Hall of Fame kind of thing? And so then you kind of say, okay, well, he must have had a bad decline. And after age 30, Soriano was like pretty good. He wasn't outstanding. He signs a huge contract with the Cubs at the time. Eight years, $130 million. I mean, people just think this is crazy money. And he's, I mean, he's still pretty solid for the Cubs each year. He hits, you know, right around 30 home runs. He only hits like 250. The stolen bases kind of dry up. So he's not the same player he used to be, but he's still, you know, fairly solid and putting up numbers that are respectable. I, according to Fangraphs, his highest war season ever was 2007 with the Cubs. And so, you know, he's, he's a, still a solid baseball player. He's not the, the mega star that he used to be, but mega stars that become solid players until the age of 38 are usually, you know, still pretty highly regarded. He had 1,000 hits past the age of 30. He had 204 home runs past the age of 30. And so, you know, he, he didn't age super well, but, but I think he aged well enough that you can make a pretty solid case for it. Yeah, I, there's only one full season. It wasn't even that full of a season, but there's only one full season after age 30 where he had um, an OPS plus under 100, which for those that don't know, a hundred is league average. So every 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 year, other than that one, uh, in terms of full seasons, was an above average hitting season. Yeah, he's an above average major league slugger. So now I'm just going to kind of run through some bigger time numbers, just to kind of you know make it impressive. There have only been seven seasons in which a player has had 35 homers, 35 doubles, and 35 steals, and Alfonso Soriano holds three of them, and no one else has done it more than once. So, I mean, he's just the king of the homer double steal. That's Alfonso Soriano. Um, every single year from 2002 to 2013, uh, to 2013, he hit over 20 home runs in a season. And most of those seasons were over 30. So that's basically a decade of consistent power production. Throughout his prime, which I kind of considered to be um, – 2002 to 2013 again. So that's, again, most of his career. That's like cutting off two years. He averaged 36 home runs a season and 23 stolen bases. And he went, so he went 40-40 once. But he went 30-30 four different times, which is second most only to both Bobby and Barry Bonds, who have each done it five times, which is also insane. Yeah, Bobby, like, pretty much invented that shit yeah i mean and and then you get you get alfonso soriano kind of doing uh, you know bonds-esque things and you know that's good but that's not the real story about alfonso soriano the numbers are impressive and, and you know looking back at what he did especially early in his career I, you know it was wow how this guy was a star 
But the real story about Alfonso Soriano is just how fun of a baseball player he was. I mean, no player in that era of baseball, I would argue, was more iconic than Alfonso Soriano. If, if you were going to build a baseball player in like a, you know, an MLB The Show would be like, you're my career player, you'd model that player after Alfonso Soriano. He's the kid everyone wants to be on the playground. How I judge baseball players, especially of olden times, by olden times, I mean early 2000s, is by how much I've heard of them. Because if I've heard of them and you're not a Philadelphia Philly, that means something. And my childhood was based off of MLB 2005, the show, on the PSP. And let me tell you, Alfonso Soriano was on every single one of my teams ever, no doubt. And so when he was, when this discussion was being had, and I love the statistics, I love everything about it, I, if you had asked me beforehand, is Alfonso Soriano a Hall of Famer? I, of course, would have said yes, already thinking he was a Hall of Famer. But MLB The Show, talking about being your ideal player, that hit home. That, was, that, that hit deep, deep in the soul. That's the point about Alfonso Soriano that I think is just so interesting, though, is that for a long period of time, 2002, even you could go all the way up to 2013, Alfonso Soriano was a guy who non-baseball fans recognized as being one of the stars of baseball. And the fact that he only put up like 29 career war and was off the Hall of Fame ballot after the first try is crazy. But his wins replacement are quite low. And I think that's, that's, that's a number of reasons. I think he was a pretty bad defender. Uh, the metrics seem to be pretty consistent about that. Uh, he had a good arm, but he wasn't very good at catching fly balls. And, um, and he also was not great, a great base runner. Despite stealing 40 bases three different times, despite going 30, 30, four times, he also was caught a lot. Like, he'd get caught, like, 15 times a season whenever he did a lot of base running. And so, basically, just whenever he got on base, he was going to run. And, and so, but that's, you know, that's really fun. You know, his batting stance, he crouches all the way down in the box. He's wiggling his bat all the way back and forth. When, I mean, I can still picture Alfonso Soriano in the box. I can picture his swing and the way he, like, skipped out of the batter's box after a home run and whipped his bat around. You know, it's just he's an iconic player. His style was iconic. His, you know, he's got a, you know, a record that's iconic with the 40-40 season. It's just, it's, you know, I kind of think it's all there for him. Yeah, it's it's the kind of thing when you consider all of that and then you see a war total under 30, it's shocking. It really is shocking to me as a, you know, as someone who grew up with baseball. It was like Alfonso Soriano was, you know, one of the best players, he was one of the household name. To see him, you know, not really be that outstanding a baseball player, you know, from the perspective of modern analytics is 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 really something else. So, you know, kind of to wrap this up, I have, I have, I think kind of four main reasons why I don't think Alfonso Soriano is in the Hall of Fame. Um, first of all, the late start. He retired at the age of 38, but he really had like a 10-year prime or 11-year prime because he didn't really start playing until he was 26 because he lied about his age and he was also stuck in the Yankees farm system behind other players. So when you get that late start, you just don't have time to accrue stats. I mean, even if he went 20-20 for, you know, if he started his career at 21 and went 20-20 from his age 21 to 26 seasons, he'd be well over 500 home runs and well over, like, 400 steals. And I think that makes him a shoe in Hall of Fame. Like, he just didn't quite get the years to, 
to, um, to you know, put those kind of numbers up, but you're talking about him adding prime years, not him adding end of career years. Um, he never walked, so that really hurts his OBP and his OPS, which, you know, brings his numbers down a lot. The fact that someone hits 46 home runs, hits 277, and openly OPS is 911 is kind of ludicrous. And that is because that was the highest walk season of his career, and he only had 67 walks. His terrible defense, I mean, it just, it brought his war down every season. He did this thing when he caught fly balls, where he would like kind of do a little skip and a hop. And it's another reason why I love Alfonso Soriano. Every time I'm like catching a routine fly ball, it's fun to do a little skip and a ball. But, um, but he also missed fly balls because of that. And that really uh, uh, missed him. And I think also that people think that his stint in Chicago was much worse than it was. Because um, he signed in Chicago coming off a 40-40 season. And everyone just expected him to be the face of a Cubs turnaround that was going to lead the Cubs back to the World Series. It was a whole big thing. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated again. The article was like, here come the Cubs. It was kind of like that Marlins article when the Marlins got Jose Reyes, they had Ozzie Guillen. It's like almost the same cover. It's funny they even repeated it because it's Lou Pinella and Alfonso Soriano. And like, they had this big splashy offseason. They got all these guys. It was like, here comes the Chicago Cubs. They're back and they're... They're ready to contend for a World Series. And he was bad in Chicago. Like, again, we've covered that he was pretty solid. He made two All-Star games. He hit, like, 30 home runs a year. But he wasn't the franchise-saving superstar they were paying him to be. And he was one of the first, like, mega contracts that were given out. And so if you actually look back on it, he is one of the better mega contracts given out. The fact that he was still producing value by age 38 is outstanding. Like, people would love to get that. It's not the Pujols contract. But people were talking about it like it was worse than the Pujols contract, which is crazy. Like, for three years, Cubs fans were like, this guy is weighing the team down. His salary is horrible. We need to get rid of him. It was just, you know, it was a big thing. Because people were just, you know, expecting way too much from him, and he wasn't quite able to deliver it. Yeah, that SI cover, I, I love those things because they've got so many of those. It reminds me of the, this is go- well, this is going to be fun. Lakers cover with like Steve Nash and Dwight Howard and it was certainly not fun oh the SI covers archive is a great place to go back (laughs) and look there are so many um just off topic but adjacent I went to when when the when the Eagles assembled their dream team it was the same day that the Phillies traded for Hunter Pence and they had a cover of the Philadelphia Daily News that was like it's a dream teams on it. And it basically contended that now the Eagles and Phillies were Super Bowl and World Series favorites. And, um, and, I bought that, and I bought that newspaper because I was like, this is a historic day for Philadelphia sports. We are the city on the sports landscape. And the Phillies, that trade basically marked the end of their dynasty. And that trade, and that Eagles dream team marked the end of the Andy Reid era. And so it, in fact, marked the end of an era in Philly sports and not the beginning, as I once thought. <laughs> it really is incredible how much of a drop-off Jason Babin and Nambi Asama took that season. <laughs> absolutely used incorrectly by us, the amount that they took off. Like, Nambi Asama was debatably the best corner for the last five, six years, and Babin was a top DN for the Titans. Come to the Eagles immediately. I was at I was at camp at the time. We did an offline fantasy draft. 
I immediately picked up the Eagles defense because someone sent me mail that said that the Eagles signed these people. I dropped my whatever defense I had, picked up the Eagles, and I was like, I, I just want the league with that defense because they score so many points. Um, and little did I know that, that would be the worst season of Eagles football I had ever watched in my entire life. Oh, my God. Just terrible. Uh, so, so give Alfonso Soriano a Philadelphia connection before I close this out. Uh, so, so give Alfonso Soriano a Philadelphia connection before I close this out. Alfonso Soriano, when he came to the United States to play baseball, did not know any English. He knew two words. He knew the words baseball and he knew the word ball. So he basically knew one and a half words. Well, base is a different word. By his second training with the Yankees, he was speaking almost perfect English. Do you guys know how he learned English? Too early to watch Always Sunny. I don't know. Was he watching uh, Mad Money? He was watching Sylvester Stallone movies. <laughs> he became a huge Sly Stallone fan and apparently watched all of his movies. So he watched all the Rockies. He watched Rambo. He watched all of that. I'm not and even sure Sly Stallone is a fluent English speaker. <laughs> like language he learned first, but I, the way he talks, I'm not sure he knows it. I know. And so and the fact that Alfonso Soriano learned his English through Sly Stallone is one of the more impressive things. The, they were saying when the media would come up to him after games, he'd be like at his locker with a little TV. He had like a little TV in his locker and he'd have a DVD player. He was always watching a Sylvester Stallone movie after games. Do you game. think he was also disappointed by the sequels of Rambo or is that just like an American thing? <laughs> I'm unclear what his takes were on the movies. I would imagine that he's a big fan. I'm sure he realized, just like all of us, that they just shifted to becoming different kinds of movies. Rambo <laughs> First Blood is just an entirely different kind of movie. The yeah. art of film with Alfonso Soriano. <laughs> Maybe actually Sly Stallone's the perfect one because then you learn like how to look like you're speaking English when you're not <laughs> really actually saying anything intelligible. Beautiful. <laughs>